0: Okay, welcome back. This is Franz Amison at the Travel Trade Exchange podcast. And over the last few episodes, you've noticed I've been vacillating on the name I'm going to be calling this podcast. Well, good news, this week we finally did an RSS feed to iTunes and we got it accepted uh, into the iTunes library. And it looks like the name of this podcast is going to be Travel Trade Exchange podcast, which... It's too bad, I would have rather the name of the podcast be uh, Travel Stories Podcast, but hopefully more subscribers still come come this way and listen to the stories and share stories of their own. Remember, the main purpose of this podcast is for you to tell your stories. And I'm, quite honestly, I'm about out of my own stories to tell, I can always ramble on, but nobody wants to hear me ramble on about my stories. It's your stories I'm looking forward to hearing. So you've heard several examples of stories that I would like to hear. All right, and let's just go over some examples. Um, In the case of uh, John's story, traveling in the 1970s, his experience of self-discovery for a year of travel, traveling cheaply, somehow making ends meet, doing whatever you need to do to make ends meet, staying with friends, in his case buying jewelry in Turkey and selling it on the streets of Europe. In the case of Bill, moving a car, he had a grand idea of moving a car from Venezuela down to the south tip of South America and when he encounters a problem in Manus, the fact that the road did not continue on as was shown on the map, how he loaded it up on a on a a boat, and continued his journey down the river. Then you've seen my stories of random acts of kindness, and we all have had random acts of kindness where we've been the recipients of these acts of kindness. Tell me your stories. And then an example of um, of my uh, very specific geographic information about the area where I live. Now, this can just be your neighborhood, your city, your county, whatever you feel is important for somebody visiting your neighborhood or your area to know. We all have this knowledge and we can all share specific knowledge with people of the areas we're intimately familiar with. All right, so those are some stories. Also, I'd like stories of um, just any unusual stories, any unusual stories you've had while traveling, romance you might have found on the road. I'm waiting to hear one of those stories. And and you've you've got the general idea. Okay, so that being said, let's get on with the few other things that I'm going to talk about today, a few other random acts of kindness. When I was traveling, I was doing my week of inland travel, and I was taking a bus from a, a town just east of of Samson, and I think that's they, they named it after Samson because that's where they think Samson lived, uh, the biblical character Samson. Samson, Turkey, I was taking a bus down to Safranbolu, and we you've heard my stories of kindness I received in Saffron a couple podcasts ago. There was an elderly couple on the on the bus and the gentleman started getting ill on the bus. He started vomiting and the bus driver pulled over in the mountains uh, between Samson and Saffron and and he got off and they went over and sat down and he felt a little better. Then he got back on the bus, and then he continued being ill on the bus. And so the bus driver pulled into a village, and everybody got off the bus, and the bus driver took this couple into a clinic, and we were all waiting around for about an hour while uh, this man was attended to. Just such kindness, such compassion that the people have for each other, and I think that's not the image that a lot of, a lot of Americans have of the Turks. And that wasn't a kindness to me, but that just showed the character of the people. All right, so that's just a little anecdote. When I was sailing a few years ago, I wanted to get up into the Sea of Marmara, so I sailed up through the Dardanelles, which uh, in ancient times was called the Hellespont, and was uh, was a very famous battleground in World War I, where Atatürk defended uh, Turkey, uh, and Churchill was on the other side, and they have an annual annual week in Turkey called Anzac Day because a lot of New Zealand soldiers died uh, fighting for the Dardanelles. Uh, anyway, that's a side note. But anyway, I sailed through the Dardanelles and into the Sea of Marmara, and on the, in the Sea of Marmara, which is bordered by the uh, Dardanelles on the, I guess it would be the southwest side of the Sea of Marmara, and uh, the Bosphorus, which goes from the Sea of Marmara up through Istanbul and into the Black Sea. There's an island there called Marmara Island. And Marmara means marble. And on the north side of this island is a huge, huge marble quarry. In fact, if you look at it in Google Earth, it's very easy to see these marble quarries. And they've been, they've been quarrying marble on this island for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I wanted to go see this, because first of all, I was curious about what it was like to see a marble quarry, what, how they work marble quarries. And then second of all, I'd, I'd read other stories of other sailors that had gone here, and the breakwater for the marina was solid marble. So I was curious to see this, and it was off the beaten path. Not very many sailors get up in this area. In fact, I was—I uh, think I was the only sailor in the marina when I was there. So I have a couple friends of mine, Mike Johnson and his wife, and we go wandering through this little village but what was extremely amazing was around the waterfront they built a beautiful waterfront in this dusty industrial town and they had these beautiful beautiful marble statues lining the waterfront everywhere you walk just fantastic clever beautiful statues and how you would get there as a tourist i have no idea because i don't think there's any ferries that go over there Uh, It would be a a real difficult trip to make, but it was just absolutely gorgeous. They had wonderful, beautiful statues, very clever statues in this town. And the name of the town is Saraylar, S-A-R-A-Y-L-A-R. Anyway, I had gone to this town with the intention of looking at a marble quarry, uh, a working marble quarry. And I'm just walking through the town with Mike and his wife. And, uh, and I see a man sitting down having a cup of tea. And he says, hello, my friend. Hello, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm American. And he said, oh, that's wonderful. And I said, listen, do you know anybody that can take me up and show me the marble quarries? He said, well, of course, I can take you up and show you my marble quarries. And so he proceeded to go get his, uh, his Jeep, his Jeep Wagoneer. And he loaded us up, and he spent the entire day taking us around to these marble quarries and his his, uh, processing facilities. And and I got to see how a marble quarry worked. And then he took us to an old, old ancient, I should say back in the 1930s, um, slab shed where they would use water power or steam power to drive these saws that would uh, cut the marble blocks into slabs. And, of course, it wasn't working, but all the machinery was there. and It was it an was ancient, I mean, I shouldn't say ancient, but it was an old uh, example of how things were done back in the early 19th or early 20th century. My guess is these were working probably from about the 1800s until maybe the 1940s, and then they were replaced with more modern equipment. But it's still there it could still be functional and it was it was just a wonderful day to experience this. Now this man just took his entire day to show us around and he showed us a quarry that his father had and he said, Oh my father, what a crazy man, what a crazy man. Look at this marble. And he showed us all this marble that had quarried that he couldn't sell because it had gray in it. So there's all these blocks of gray, of slightly marble with gray streaks through it that his father couldn't sell. They couldn't sell He said my father put us almost put us out of business trying to quarry this marble. And, of course, the marble that's the most in demand is the pure white marble. And, um, and that's what he was, he was uh, quarrying for himself. Now, in my office, I, bought, I brought as a, mem- a memory of this trip a, about a 4x4x4 four by four by four piece of marble that I picked up from his, from his quarry. It was just as a doorstop. So every time I look at that, I think of that, that experience that I had. If you ever have a chance to go there, take take it. Another act of kindness I received, again in Turkey, and that's just because I spent so much time in Turkey. I was uh, staying in gurume in the Cappadocia region of Turkey. I got off the boat, uh, put the boat up, and I gave myself an, about a week, maybe two weeks, week and a half to go travel around. And I'd been to this pension before. And I just, it was like stepping back to the 1960s, this pension, and I hesitate giving the name of it because I don't want it to be ruined. You know, all your favorite places are ruined if enough people go to them. So I'm not, I'm not even going to mention the name of this place, but it was uh, very inexpensive and it was, you know, it was adequate. The rooms were adequate, nothing exceptional. But uh, if you went down and got a beer, you just write the name of your room on the, on a on a piece of paper, and you know, it was always on your honor. The meals we had were community meals, so you had an opportunity to sit at a community table and talk to other travelers, and I met so many interesting people at this this pension that uh, it's hard for me to want to travel anywhere else. I've traveled in first-class hotels, five-star hotels, and then this place, which wouldn't even be one star, and I had more fun much more fun at this little pension than I ever have had at the very expensive sterile hotels anyway on this trip I was by myself and I like just to go wandering and in Gourmet, they've got a, a very famous uh, open air museum of ancient christian churches that were built into the side of the mountains but just to the uh, just to the south of this Open air museum is another whole canyon where there's equally as many churches built into the side of the mountain, and there's little paths that wind around this canyon, and there's there's crops that are being planted by farmers, and you just don't walk through the fields, but you can wander in and out of these these churches at will, and it's just so so much fun because you're you're usually by yourself out there. Very few people know about this, and it's just a wonderful place to walk now make sure you go to the Open Air Museum, the regular one as well, but give yourself time to get some other areas in. Now, the other thing I, I did on this trip, this particular trip, is there's a, uh, a little, a little I don't know if you'd call it a river or a stream, but a waterway that wanders through the town, through the middle of town in Gurame. And I like to follow water. So, I, I just uh, got up one morning and I started following this water up the canyon and kept going and pretty soon it turns in, it goes through the town and the town turns into a little path and the, I just followed the path up and pretty soon I'm right at the top of this canyon and it's a box canyon and right at the top of the canyon, again, there's uh, some farmer, a little a plot of crops, vegetables and a farmer's field there and, and as I'm wandering by, um, there's two older gentlemen working on a bicycle um, it's upside down, and they're doing some work on it, and they're looking at it, and they say, Merhaba. And I say, oh, Merhaba, and that's, hello, that's a greeting. Hello, how are you? Good day. And um, they said, where are you going? I said, I'm just following this path. I said, oh, okay. And, of course, the path ended about another 50 yards up. I couldn't go any farther. It, it became too steep. It turned into a, uh, a cliff. And so I came back down, and I looked at them, they were still working on the bicycle. So I went over there, and, and uh, it, it was an issue with the brake, and I helped them fix it. I'm pretty mechanical that way, so we fixed the bicycle, and, and they thanked me. They said, well, would you, would you have some tea with us? And I said, well, well that would be, that'd be wonderful. Thank you very much. And uh, this gentleman lived in a little, I guess you'd say like a two-room Caved out area, carved out area in the side of the mountain, and he still was a troglodyte. He still lived in this little cave that was man-made. It was a man-made cave that they carved into the side of the mountain, and it and so we went inside and had a nice, comfortable place to sleep, and he had a little kitchen, and it was propane. Uh, a uh, propane stove, and he heated up uh, some water and and made us tea. And it was very hot outside. I think this was July, and it was very hot outside. And inside his little his little house, his little two room cave, it was so comfortable. It was just comfortably cool and wonderful. And uh, we spent probably oh three hours just trying to communicate and talk and drink tea. And it was it's one of my great memories. Now, that's one of the advantages I've always found by traveling alone, is you open yourself up to opportunities like this. If I'd been traveling with another person, they would have said hello and good day, but I doubt if they would have invited me into their house to have tea with them. And I've found this to be the case uh, there's, there's good and bad in traveling alone. There's the loneliness that you have to put up with when you travel alone. And because you're lonely, you probably are willing to open yourself up to other experiences. You're looking for human companionship, for friendship. And so there's been times when I've traveled alone when I haven't had these experiences, and it's, it's very lonely, but then there's those few times like this that... Uh, that uh, really made for, for wonderful memories. And, and like I say, if I'd been traveling with somebody, I wouldn't have had uh, the opportunity to meet these gentlemen and spend a day in this little cave house, I guess. One other little thing I want to talk about is, is when I was flying back from Turkey one year, I, I was flying on a uh, frequent flyer miles pass, and, and I was able to arrange it so I had about two or three days. I think I had a three-day stopover in Paris, and I'd been in and out of Paris a lot of times, and and I didn't want to spend another another weekend in Paris. Not nothing wrong with Paris, but I always like to have new horizons, do new things, go to places I haven't been before. So, I looked at a map and I said, "Well, that's you know you and you read about these bike tours that they give in France, and they have a Chateau region that you can go to and pay for pay for a bike tour and have people take you around on a bike." And I thought, "Well, I bet, I bet I could just figure out." Uh, were to ride a bike if i just go there by myself so i looked at a map and i found uh the airport charles de Gaulle airport i could get on a train and take the train mm, i guess it was maybe two two and a half hours to Blois, france which is right in the chateau region of france and uh i arrived there pretty late at night uh, the hotel i was supposed to stay at wasn't open or i couldn't find it so i ended up staying at a different hotel and i'd booked this hotel uh through one of the online services and I was very disappointed in it. Uh, but so I was sta- ended up staying at another hotel. Um, and hotels are not a big issue for me. I, as long as there's a bed, I really don't care. I'm, I'm not spending much time in a room anyway. That's not the point of me traveling. As long as it's relatively clean and there's a, comfort- yeah, a bed, and it doesn't even have to be a comfortable bed, just a bed. I've slept in some pretty damn uncomfortable beds over the years. Anyway, the next morning I got up and I asked uh, uh, one of the gentlemen at the hotel, I said, "Uh, where can I rent a bicycle? And he told me a place to go rent a bicycle. And I went down and rented a bicycle for three days. And they had very, very detailed maps of bike routes. And these bike routes were very well marked on the streets. And they would take you out in the countryside and and around chateaus, and it was just wonderful. And the idea of actually spending money to pay somebody to take you there, if you can basically have some very s- fundamental map reading skills, there's no reason to to uh, to pay a tour guide to take you on this. Now, I can see the advantage of a tour guide. I don't speak French, and it would be nice to have somebody interpret things for me and tell me about things, but uh, these maps that they have in bluey France... And the fact that you can rent a bicycle there very inexpensively should uh, encourage other people just to go just go to Bluey or Tours or some of these other regions and, and rent a bike and do your own tour. So that's it. I'm Again, remember, I'm testing out our, our RSS feed with this podcast. This is a quick podcast. But I would really like you to consider telling your own stories. And I told you how to do it at the beginning of this podcast. This is Franz and Thank you for listening. And please tell your friends about us. Bye-bye.